Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. This is going to be episode 40 of 2021. Episode 40 of 2021. I want to apologize about uh, episode 37 and 38. Um, they have not po- been posted on uh, Google Podcasts. I don't know what's going on. Um, so ironically, those are the two episodes I experimented with, with, um, a little background music, uh, to try to add a little zest. And I don't know if that's the cause for it, but, um, I'll wait and see, uh, what's going on. Um, what's going to happen. I know episode 39 has been posted ironically, and that one doesn't have any background music so um looks like i learned my lesson on that one but i'm going to continue doing the readings for um for tuesday um all right i believe that's where we're heading tuesday and i'll try to continue it um during the readings i'm about to go back to work so uh hopefully i'll be able to continue it and uh, there's a snowstorm in, well, we just went through a snowstorm in New York. Rumor has it we expect another one. Uh, looks like we're getting clobbered. But anyway, if you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job, uh, please subscribe and share. I know that um, Anchor Spotify has some new guidelines. Uh, they review the episodes. Um, I guess we're just going to have to... Uh, roll with the punches, all right? So anyway, let's begin with an act of contrition. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Kyrie Eleison, Kyrie Eleison. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Let us persevere in running the race that lies before us. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of any burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith. For the sake of the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider how he endured such opposition from sinners, in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. So, uh, sorry if you hear any noise in the background. It's someone down on the street level shuffling the snow. Okay, so we'll read it one more time. Reading from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter, I'm sorry, it's chapter 12, not 11, chapter 12, 1 to 4. I hope I, that's what I said in the beginning, chapter 12, 1 to 4. Let us persevere in running the race that lies before us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith. For the sake of the joy that lays before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right of, of the throne of God. Consider how he endured such opposition from sinners in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Okay, one more time. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith. For the sake of the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his see, his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider how he endured such oppositions from sinners in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, here you have evidence and proof of the saints. Okay, we are surrounded by a, clou a cloud of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses. People who came before us, all the people from the past, all the people who endured, who suffered remember in the la uh, last episode which those have suffered shame humiliation persecution um were forced 
uh, in the most uh, humiliating way of persecution from others, especially those from their own faith. The worst persecution is not so much just from someone outside of your faith. It's persecution from people from within your faith. Those who despise the testimony that you hold. Those who will compromise the faith because of the love of the world. <clears throat> I mean, we're going through that right now. People within the church, um, clergy as well as lay people who have given up believing in the morals of the faith, uh, who have decided to compromise sexual morality, reproductive morality, simply because they all they see is this world. And, and you know, it always, it, it mind boggles. Why do people like that remain in the church? Why, why won't they leave? Why won't they just go off? Why do they remain in the church? Because I think with all honesty, they, they know the church is real. They know the church is true. They know Jesus Christ is true somewhere in their heart. Though they themselves cannot have the strength to have faith. But at the same time, there is shame in sin. The shame that they know that they're holding on to something that is contrary. There are people who, who are in the church and they know the faith is real and they, don't, they know they themselves cannot bring themselves to have, to have this faith and they wind up hating the faith and at the same time, they cannot bring themselves to part with something they, they know is true, and yet they have great contempt and hate. I, I truly, I, I think it's, it's a sad state. There is some kind of perverted love for 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 the faith but i don't think they know where the love begins and where their hate ends or where their love ends or where, and where their hate begins there are people like that i mean seriously there are people who call themselves atheistic jews They'll never deny that they're Jews. And yet at the same time, they don't practice the faith. They're atheistic. There's some kind of hatred they have. I mean, I've read this and I've counted it in their words, in their writings. But they can't bring themselves from parting away. It happens to people. When the love of the world, like Jesus said, remember when he gave the story of the, of the parable of the sower and some thorns fall um, on, on rocks, but because there's not enough soil, 
first one is stolen by birds, which represent Satan. The second one doesn't endure, doesn't have enough root, and it doesn't, it cannot withstand the scourge of the sun. Those are the ones that cannot endure persecution, and so they quickly fall away. Then there's the one that falls among thorns. It grows, but the thorns choke it. And those are the ones that represent the love of the world, its pleasures, its sensuality, its riches. And they too cannot endure. They don't have good, the faith is not deep. And because the thorns choke it, because it represents all the vices. And then there's the ones that fall on good soil. You, you know, we have to endure to the end. We, like he says here, we must rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere, and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of our faith. I hope I read that. The leader and perfecter of our faith. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of our faith. For the sake and joy that lays before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right of the throne of God. Consider how he endured such an opposition from sinners in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Are we possibly going to face face such a thing? Are we possibly going to face persecution? I don't know. It's a good question. I think we just have to wait and see. We're going to have to wait and see because America America is a country that's deeply rooted in faith. And um, people are kind of funny about their rights. Not every right is good. And people are kind of funny now that they're willing, that we're living in a time now where people are sort of swept away at every vice of every trend. The worst part is the trends. The trends. And maybe maybe that's always been like that with human beings to some extent. You got political trends, philosophical trends, social trends, artistic trends, sexual trends, and that that that's that's even the worst, I think, because people are caught up with it. And then and sadly enough the the universities have become sideshows for these trends. But we but what's more I think important is that when people have burned themselves out completely there is a sense of spiritual dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction that 
people, it's the same thing what happened with the Roman Empire and among the Greek, the Greek pagans. They found themselves completely burned out from the pagan idol worship of their ancestors. Yes, they did. They found themselves completely burned out. The Vikings are the same thing. They found themselves completely burned out. Um, their pagan lifestyle was very violent. At some point, you're going you're gonna to begin to think to yourself, what is the point of all this? Sometimes a, one person, one individual takes a step back and looks at the whole landscape, the social, political, religi religious landscape of their culture and begins to see the forest from the trees and begins to see the reality. His reasoning and the, the reasoning and the, the morals do not co coincide with reality of what's happening in their culture. And begin to realize that maybe we, we got things wrong here. This is, this is not heading to a right direction. And that's, that's what I think was going to happen eventually. I think in some cases, I don't know how, but at some point, people are going to begin to realize it's, this, this is not working out. This is not working out. You know, we have to keep, uh, we're running the race, not just for ourselves, but we're running it for those we love. We want them to believe. And sometimes words don't, don't, don't cut it out anymore. I know sometimes we could talk to people and uh, we could talk to them to their blue in the face about the faith. It doesn't work out anymore. They're going to have to see the faith in our lives. They're going to have to see it by how we live out the faith, how we endure, how we persevere. Sometimes giving people a, a, a piece of leaflet or a a small New Testament or something, they're not going to read it. People do not have that patience anymore. They have to see the faith living out in our lives. And maybe they might come and talk to us about it. And at that moment, you have, we, we, we have to be so deep in the Holy Spirit. We have, our mind and our heart had to be completely given over to the Holy Spirit that we will say, remember what Jesus says, he will guide you to say the right thing at the right moment, at the right time. We sometimes we're so eager that we want to save, we want to save the world. It's not us who saves the world. It is Christ Jesus who saves the world. It is the Holy Spirit who does the converting. 
We do the praying. We do the penance. We do the fasting. We pray for that person. We fast for that person. We we have to realize there's more at stake than we realize. Our, Our world is seriously at a breaking point. We have fellow Catholics that are, that are worshiping the government, that are worshiping a system. It's an anti it's an antichrist system. You know, and and it's something we we have to uh, right now. We have to do the praying. We have to show them the love of Christ by how we're willing to endure and how we're willing to, we're going to have to keep saying, no, sorry, we cannot bend the knee to the system. We are not going to bend the knee to the system. And then, you know, Jesus, Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. For the sake of the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right of the throne of God. Consider how he endured such oppositions from sinners in order to that you may not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Not yet. Not yet. But Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. We're not Jesus Christ. We have to unite ourselves with him. We have to give ourselves to him. And we have to willingly get ready to endure humiliation and shame. Okay, to, so we, we can be a testimony to others. Make them step back and look and see the reality around them. Let's move on to the Psalms. Okay, so Psalm 22. Psalm 22 and the response is, They will praise you, Lord, who lung for you. They will praise you, Lord, who lung for you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear him. The lowly, the lowly shall eat their fill. They who seek the Lord shall praise him. May your hearts be ever merry. They will praise you, Lord, who long for you. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall bow down before him. To him, um, before him, sorry, they will praise you, Lord, who long for you. To him alone shall, shall bow down all who sleep in the earth. Before him shall bend all who go down into the dust. They will praise you, praise you, Lord, who long for you. 
and to him my soul shall live. My descendants shall serve him. Let the coming generation be told of the Lord, that they may proclaim to a people yet to be born the justice he has shown. They will praise you, Lord, who long for you. Okay, Psalm 22. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear him. The lowly shall eat their, shall eat their fill. They who seek the Lord shall praise him. May your hearts be ever merry. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear him. Remember what I said about fear is often not uh, terror or like being terrified of God, but it's the fear of losing that relationship with God, of breaking it, of going after something that is shallow and meaningless and temporal. Uh, the the pagan idols themselves alone, yes, they're terrible, but it's what they represent. Remember what I said, they could represent attributes which are just individual attributes like wealth, money, sex, uh, fertility, harvest, all these things which God himself, all of them, all of them come from God. But instead, like Paul says, they worship the creature instead of the creator who, who, who alone belongs all glory. And, you know, like we see in our society, fame, that's paganistic. It's heathenistic when people worship it. Sex and beauty by itself, paganistic and heathenistic and it's, and, and, and it's, and it's idle or people who are obsessed with sex, obsessed with these things, these things by themselves, which in the end, they will fade. Tell me any celebrity who's happy, who realizes that they're, they're past their glory, they're past their beauty, and they're desperately trying to regain it again. How many people can't endure the fact that their that their their days have gone by, and they go into depression and self and, and suicidal behavior. They can't deal with the fact that their youth is gone, and they're still embarrassingly trying to reclaim it. Look how people are obsessed with health and fitness to the point where it's almost fanatical. Being healthy is fine, but being healthy, physically healthy, but also living in God is even for, far more be better because you have to be spiritually healthy and spiritually healthy, mentally healthy. You realize where, where it is. There's some, I mean, you, you go on some of these uh, social media network, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's vanity, vanity of vanities. And, you know, they're constantly, they're constantly battling. That's the funny part. They're constantly battling. Well, it's, is it good? It's market wise. It's good. At the same time, is it healthy? Because people develop an, an, an unhealthy obsession. Uh, they talk about body shaming. They talk about how young girls, girls begin to look at themselves. They, they think they're fat when they're too young to even, to even worry about such a thing. And now we're talking about 
all kinds of things between gender. We, we're, we're tearing ourselves apart over the most ridiculous things. It's like something satanic has gone over our society. We are tearing ourselves apart. We're literally tearing our kids apart. We're tearing them morally, spiritually, and we're destroying them. Because there's a there's some perversion in our mind that's doing this. Okay. Okay, and it goes on. The lowly shall eat their fill. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear him. So you should fear God. You should you you should have a relationship with God. Like I, basically the whole point of it is your relationship with God should be the one thing you should covet jealously. You should protect and guard jealously. Because you love him. That's another thing. Your your faith in God should be number one priority. The lowly shall eat their fill. It's an uh, you can allude it to the Eucharist, to the sacrament, to the body and blood of Christ. Those who seek the Lord shall praise him. Everything should be God in the beginning of your life and the end of your life. And because of our relationship with God, we are beneficial for others. They themselves will reap the benefit because sometimes it does happen that way. We become a channel of grace for others. Okay. And, and of those who seek, shall praise him, may your hearts be ever merry, joyful. There should be joy in our hearts and people should see that. They should see the joy in our hearts. They should see the joy in our hearts. They should see this the grace that our relationship with God we shouldn't walk around miserable or unhappy. We're sad. We're sad at the state of horror that the world is in. But we should be happy. We should be always happy, not sad. We should be joyful in our relationship with Christ. It's difficult, I understand. It is difficult. But our relationship with Christ, we should be a channel of grace for other people to benefit from. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall bow down before him. Remember how Abraham became a channel of grace. He became a channel of grace and everybody benefited from him. All the families of the earth benefited from him. Right? Even pagans, actually, you know, when they realize they have offended God, they ask him, please pray for me. You become... You become a channel of grace for others. You know, that's, you know, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families and nations shall bow down before him. To him alone shall bow down all who sleep in the earth. Before him shall bend all who go down to the dust. Well, even those nations, regardless what, they will have it be people who die without faith, they too shall have to acknowledge God. They will acknowledge God. If they will not acknowledge him in life, they will acknowledge him definitely in death and in their judgment and give glory to him. And to him, my soul shall live. 
My, de my descendants shall serve him. We could say here, this is Christ. Christ who consummated his passion on the cross, on the bed of the cross, you know, for the new, his new bride, the church. He fulfilled it. He, the correct term, consummated. Not it is done, it is finished. But it is a bridal term. It is a married term because, remember, Jesus is the bridegroom. And therefore, he fulfilled his mission with his new bride, the church. And because when he got pierced in the side, that was a picture of Adam. Adam who, when Eve was taken from his side. But for Christ, his bride shall be the, the, the church, the, the, family of, the family of believers, all of them. And all of us are his descendants that come from the sacrament, that come from this consummation. Our faith comes from him. We are his children. We are his descendants. Okay. Let the coming generation be told of the Lord, that they may proclaim to a people yet to be born the justice he has shown. He is, he is the new Adam. The church is, his, is the Eve, his bride, and we are his offspring. We are his offspring. I, I also say this, the correct translation in the on the cruise on the cross it is it isn't it is accomplished or it is done it is good but it means more than that it is consummated he has consummated his marriage to his bride the church and we are the offspring from the bride that's why in the book of revelation talks about the new Jerusalem coming down as a bride to meet her bridegroom beautifully decked we are his offspring we have to change the way we think about it we have to change it change it change the way the way it is with the way we think about the church the way we think about our salvation it is more romantic and it is more intimate all right let's move on to the gospel all right. Alleluia, alleluia. Christ took away our infirmities and bore our diseases. Alleluia, alleluia. Christ took away our infirmities and bore our diseases. Little girl, I say to you, arise. It's the gospel of St. Mark, the gospel according to St. Mark, the holy gospel of Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. It's another long one. Wow. Uh, we just did the garrison. So I hope they put out the other two episodes. If not, I'm going to have to um, redo them again. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Glory to you, Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd, this is after the garrison, the demoniac, when he... Uh, performed the exorcism in the Gerasene territory. When Jesus has crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to, to the sea. One of the synagogue officials named Jarius came forward. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Please come, lay your hands on her, that she may get well and live. He went off with him, 
and a large crowd followed him. There was a, uh, a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for twelve years. She had suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet she was not helped, but only grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, If I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Jesus, aware at once that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who has touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see how the crowd is pressing upon you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. The woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. While he was still speaking, people from the synagogue official's house arrived and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Disregarding the message that was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid. Just have faith. He did not allow anyone to accompany him inside except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, the two sons of Zebedee. When they arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So he went in and said to them, Why this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they ridiculed him. Then he put them all out. He took along the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the room where the child was. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, rise. The girl, a child of twelve, arose immediately and walked around. And at that very, at, at that, they were utterly astounded. He gave strict orders that no one should know this and said that, she should be given something to eat. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, it's a long one. Just, uh, you know what? We're going to read it one more time. The, the reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to the sea. One of the synagogue officials named Jarius came forward, seeing him. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Please come, lay your hand on her, that she may get well and live. He went off with him, and a large crowd followed him. There was a woman afflicted with 
hemorrhages. For twelve years she had suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet she was not helped, but only grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, If I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Just aware at once that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who has touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see how the crowd is pressing upon you, and yet you ask who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The woman, realizing what had happened to her, Approached in fear and trembling, she fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. While he was still speaking, the people from the synagogue official's house arrived and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Disregarding the message that was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid. Just have faith. He did not allow anyone to accompany him inside except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of a commotion of people weeping, wailing loudly. So he went in and said to them, Why this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they ridiculed him, and they put and then he put them all out. He took along the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the room where the child was. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. The girl, a child of twelve, arose immediately and walked around. At that they were utterly astounded. He gave strict orders that no one should know this and said that she should be given something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this story takes place right after the uh, Gerasene demoniac, the man who was afflicted with legion. Many demons were in him. You know, and he he healed the man, cast out the demons. They went into a herd of swine, two thousand of them, and, he, and the herd of swine fell in the water. They the demons were trying to be kind of smart. You could say they thought that they could trick Jesus. They go into the the herd of swine, remain in there, and then when Jesus is gone, they can go back into the man or go find another another. Um, poor soul to torment um it's interesting that they the words that they uh they were saying is do not cast us out from the territory um why why the territory well because the area was constantly uh it had a um deep-rooted uh cult activity probably there was a lot of um maybe satanic practices which is why they don't want to leave the territory because it was a very um spiritually depraved territory
But anyway, and, and the people were raising swine to, obviously for the Romans, for Gentiles. Anyway, Jesus gets, Jesus heals the man and he tells the man to, the man wanted to join Jesus. He said, no, go back to your family and friends and tell everyone. Um, the pity, the correct word should have been mercy that the Lord has shown you. And the man went and proclaimed it at the Decopolis, which is the city, a Greek city, probably built by, by the Herods. And Jesus gets back in the boat. The boat, the symbol of the church and the waters, the symbol of the nations. And he stayed close by the sea, which is the church. The, you know, again, the boat is the image of the church. Remember, this is the story is continuing, which is pretty good. What the what the what we have here. This is one of the things I like is about the the daily missal, the the new readings, uh, is that it continues. And uh, this is I'm actually for the first time in my life I'm actually following it, <laughs> which is kind of cool. You are actually getting the whole Bible um, if you read the missal. Uh, if you read it for three years, you're going to read the whole Bible almost. But this is a good way for people to actually get to stay close to the gospel for daily readings. Now, what happens is, is that what's interesting is that we first, uh, earlier, Jesus was in the boat and he was asleep. Remember that? When he left Capernaum and the apostles thought that he didn't care. And because there was a storm broke out and they begged him, we're going to drown, Lord. We're going to, you know, we're going to perish. And Jesus gets up and calms the storm and they witness his power. And he tells them why you don't have any faith. Then he goes into the Gerasene territory. And then from the Gerasene territory, now he goes into uh, the other side. Um, and there's a Jewish, uh, there's a synagogue. And then and an official comes out who's the head of the synagogue, official. And his name is Jarius. And um, he came forward and he fell, in his, fell at Jesus' feet and said, my daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. This is a very touching scene. This is a very touching scene. I mean, I know that people often think that women are not appreciated in the ancient world. <clears throat> and that's true to some extent. But you can't argue with a father's love for his child. He obviously loves this little girl. His, she's his daughter. He adores her. And he would come that he would beg for his child to live. This is a very touching, tender scene. And there's a father, not a mother, but a father. And he's willing to bow down on his knees in front of this man who he has heard rumors of and he's hope, and he probably believes that this man has to be true from everything he heard, all eyewitnesses. The word, Jesus is, is, uh, the word of Jesus is spreading all over the place. And he comes and, you know, he goes into the man's house and people, um, you can see he, the man's, I mean, I'm, I have to say it's when I read it and you're actually reading it, reading it, the words I can picture in my mind, he loves his little girl. He loves her and he wants her to live. He wants to hear her laugh. He wants to hear her. He wants to hear, you know, hear her playing. He can't stand the thought of the house not having her there. And he went off with him and the large crowd followed him. 
Then we're then we go from a little girl to an older woman. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhage for twelve years. She had suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and had spent all that she had. She was not helped, but only grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, if I touch his clothes, his clothes I shall be cured. Immediately her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And again, we go from a young child. Notice, notice how Mark um, takes these two uh, points, young and old. A father pleading for his daughter and a woman who has had affliction of some hemorrhaging affliction all her life, for 12 years of her life, mostly. And she touched his cloth, his, his cloak or his garment, and she heals. Okay, this could show you how much faith she had that even the clothes that on Jesus was had power. And Jesus felt power leave him, which is ironic. And she her, she was healed. No doctor could save her. Now, why 12 years? 12 years symbolizes, obviously, has a, uh, a perfection number, but also it symbolizes the 12 tribes. She, in some cases, represents the 12 tribes who have, the 12 tribes of Israel have not, in a sense, she represents Israel, uh, the old bride, I guess you can say, the old covenant. Not, we're gonna like, you know, make fun of it, no. But the faith, remember Jesus said about new wine and fresh skins, and you don't put new wine in old skins. Well, maybe this has some kind of meaning to it, I guess, but, but it's more than that. It's in the sense that Israel has had difficulty keeping their covenant with God. They fell into paganism, idolatry. Um, they've been in exile. They've broken their covenant over and over and over and over again. It just doesn't seem to stop. It just continues. And they they come back into the faith. They're, they have... You know they've been around the, around the block. They've they've experienced they experienced the trials and tribulations of of their of their faith, the failures, then the momentary triumphs. You know, the the exile and persecution and oppression. So they're they're pretty much you know they're pretty much experienced, but there was enough faith, enough faith that she reached out and touched his garment and she immediately was healed. All right. She had faith enough. She had enough experiences of difficulty. In a sense, she represents old Israel and the little girl represents the church. The church. It's an old woman and a young woman. There's obviously symbolism there that the writer the, the apostles saw the meaning. They saw the meaning and they understood it. He turns around and he asks, uh, you know, who touched me? You know, 
Jesus was aware at once that the power had gone out from him and turned around in the crowd as crowds of people around him and asked, Who has touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see how the crowd is pressing upon you? And yet you ask who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. The woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. Just like the father fell on his knees, right? The father fell on his knees, the, the official of the synagogue, humbled himself for the sake of his child. She, old enough, no family member, right? A woman of, a woman of many years of suffering, 12 years, had wasted all her money to doctors that didn't do her any good, fell on, on her knees and admitted what she had done. She admitted it. She didn't hide in the crowd out of shame. But she felt gratitude that her affliction, her, her hemorrhaging has ended. And then she admitted it. And Jesus, <clears throat> seeing her faith, he calls her daughter. Notice he calls her daughter. She, he's younger than her and he calls her daughter. And, uh, you know, he, she fell down before Jesus and told him the whole story. And he said to her daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. While he was still speaking, people from the synagogue officials have, uh, the ho officials house arrived and said, your daughter has died. Why trouble the, the teacher any longer? Disregarding the message that was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid, just have faith. He did not allow anyone to accompany him inside except Peter, James, and John, the, the brother James, the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. When he arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of a commotion, people weeping, wailing loudly. So he went in and said to them, Why this commotion and, and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they ridiculed him. They ridiculed, they, they mocked him. In their minds, she's dead. What are you going to, you know, again, you have the power of life and death. I mean, oh, the people ridiculed him. People back then in, in some of these cultures, um, uh, I know it sounds ridiculous, but if you read the Arabian Nights, there are actually people you can hire to weep. There's a people don't like you in a town, I guess. You can pay people, if you can afford it, you can pay people to weep for you. So at least, you know, because uh, sometimes, I guess, if you're rich, it's hard to get people to feel sorry for you back then. So you could hire people to weep for you. But then again, you could have enough people around you who respect you and, and um, feel for you that they would weep. But he came in and he kind of put an end to this whole thing, to this whole show of weeping. And they got angry and they ridiculed him. He pushed, he kicked all the people out. He kicked all the mourners out, except for the mother, the father and the mother, and the, the apostles, the, the, the three apostles, Peter, James, and John. And they went into the room. Where the child was, he took the child by the hand, just like he took Simon Peter's mother by the hand. A mother-in-law, excuse me, mother-in-law by the hand and told her to rise up. To, you know, he says, he used the words, Talitha Kumi. 
uh, in the, this is Aramaic, but in, uh, I know that King James, it, you, it has the word binta talitha kumi, which it's strange, it's like, like in the Arabic, but it's, again, it means, bint means girl, a girl. And talitha sounds like the Arabic, modern Arabic word, zrida, little. There's, you know, there's different dialects. And then kum is very universal. You probably heard it in the Passion of Christ. means get up, rise. There's actually kum, kumu, plural, for everyone to get up. Uh, and then there's kumi, which is you say to a woman, a girl, to get up. But, the you know, but it can be also you can use the word kum, meaning to rise in general. <clears throat> and she did. She got up and she moved around. She walked around. She probably wondered what was going on. And she probably ran over to her parents. And they, at that, at that, they were utterly astounded. He gave strict orders that no one should know this and said that she should be given something to eat. Uh, he didn't want the Pharisees to investigate. The Pharisees would just make it very difficult uh, for, his, for him to perform his ministry, to go around. And they... They had a lot of power in the territories, and especially there was a, they were the interpreters of the law, and they would constantly be going around hounding him. But unfortunately, that's going to happen anyway, because word is going to spread around. They heard about the, the paralytic. They heard about the leper. Uh, they heard about um, the, probably the multiplying of fish. They heard about the um, the uh, the people, different uh, the de the demon possessed man in the synagogue of Capernaum. They heard about the uh, the different people possessed, and they heard about all the all the people he healed, the sick, and everything. Uh, they probably heard about the man with the you know all kinds of people with withered arm, the withered arm, everything, and they it's going to keep spreading. It's impossible to keep to keep such a thing uh, a secret. People are going to follow him around. They, you know, they're going to follow him around, and they're going to do that. And this is this is this is how it grew. People from all over came, and they probably heard about John the Baptist proclaiming him as the one. And the Pharisees are going to keep investigating. This man keeps contradicting, or you know, he says he has the power to forgive sins. And he has the power to heal. And he has the power to heal on a synagogue, on a Sabbath. They, you know, they're going to, the Herodians are going to hear about it. If they're interested, if they're not occupied with other political issues going on, especially Herod's constantly, uh, his strife with the temple authorities and, and Pilate and the Romans. Um, we'll see. But this is, this is obviously showing you, uh, there's symbolism in the healing. Jesus just doesn't go around just healing people. He doesn't go around just performing miracles for the sake of performing miracles. He doesn't heal for the sake of healing. There is meaning to it. There's meaning to his healing. There's significant meaning. Every healing has a meaning, especially the ones that stood out the most. And, you know, this is this is this is something people have to understand when you read the new testament the healings by themselves are not for the sake of performances look what i could do 
they have significant meaning. All right. They have significant meaning. Miracles eventually will cease. All right. The Old Testament miracles had meaning to them. There's layers of meaning to them that, that, that for, for our sake to interpret and to understand. God told Noah to build an ark. Why? Why? And all the animals went into the ark, two by two, male and female. Because they symbolize the nations. There's only one door to the ark on the side. A symbol of Christ being pierced to the side. The ark is a symbol of the church. The boat that Jesus is in is a symbol of the Catholic church. The apostles in the boat and other boats following him is like, that's basically a symbol of different boats, uh, churches in throughout the nations. The waters attacking the storm is a symbol of the violence of the world against the church. But Christ remains in him, even though he was asleep in the cushion. It's a symbol of a Eucharistic presence, regardless of how bad things are. He will always be with us. All right. Jesus walking on the water, coming to the church is an apocalyptic image of the son of man's second coming, his return. And Peter is the head. Peter has to have faith. Him obviously walking on water and not having faith. It's a symbol of uh, a troubled papacy. Okay. The demoniac is the symbol of Satan working in the nation, especially in troubled territories. Okay, territories where there's de demonic activity. You know, that's why they didn't want to leave the area. The swine is the symbol of the nations who are possessed, who are, um, you know, constant, you know, um, people behaving less unclean animals, uncleanness of the na of, of, of certain nations who are depraved. Falling into the water is their destruction. Christ destroying, destroying God, you know, still having power. All authority heaven and earth is given to him. He says he saves one soul, redeems one soul, a man who's not even a Jew. And the people, what do they do? Instead of accepting him, they tell him to leave. The man wanted to leave with him. Jesus says, remain. And Jesus tell him, remain there and tell, and tell, your, tell your people what mercy God has shown you. He goes into another territory. There's a man who has faith in Jesus and wants Jesus to save his little girl that he loves so much. And Jesus does. But in the process, the man is Jewish. The old woman is Jewish, the one with the hemorrhaging blood. And she symbolizes Israel. It's still in need of the gospel, as old as, as they were and as tested as they were. They can understand. They can see the prophecy. They can see the fulfillment. They can see the messianic fulfillment being done there. You have a, a young girl and you have uh, the youth of, of Israel and you have the elderly of Israel. Both need the gospel. Both need it. All right. And he does. He has the power of life and death. He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. It shows Simon Peter was very close to her. He loves her. He loved her very much. He took care of her. Andrew and Peter loved her. 
He loved her. Either We don't know. It doesn't make mention of his wife. We can assume at this point he could have been a widow. A widower, that is. But he took care of his mother-in-law because that was the closest thing to a, the wife, to his wife. And he was responsible for her. She had probably, she didn't have any sons to take care of her. I know in the, the Chosen series that they show sons, but in my opinion, I think she probably, I think Peter was probably a widower at this point. Doesn't make mention of the wife, but he took care of her. He took care of his mother-in-law. She was his mother. And he loved her and he took care of her because of the love of his wife. And she was the closest thing he had to the wife he lost. It doesn't, it doesn't make mention of children. So we know for a fact that there wasn't. So if it doesn't make mention of the wife, she was probably gone at this point. And Peter never had children. But he took care of his mother-in-law. He took care of her because he loved her. He's a man who keeps who keeps his word. He's Peter's Peter, as stubborn-headed as he was, was still a man who showed who kept his devotion, and he loved her. You know, and so we see that we see that in this relationship. And Jesus himself acknowledges this relationship. He goes into the house. She's very important to him. the The little girl is very important. To the father. He loves his little girl. Doesn't make mention of sons. Maybe they were. But she obviously is the heart of the family. And they can't bear the idea of losing her. And not hearing, not having a child in their house. People, you know, even though she's not a son. In that culture, they honestly honor sons more than daughters. We, we often hear that. But in many cases, you will see, you will see where a daughter is honored. I have a... One of my cousins, um, uh, for years she was trying to have a baby and she, um, she has had um, several losses, but eventually she had a little girl, a little girl, and there's no son. She lives in the South here in the United States and her little girl is her heart and soul, is her heart. You can see that in people. You know, it's, it reminds me of, you know, of, you know, I, I was able to put the connection between the two because you can see that. And, you know, people, you know, um, you can see Jesus, you know, Jesus, how he, he comes into their house. He doesn't say no. He didn't even give the father, uh, kind of like a witness, a witness test. He just went to him because he saw the love and he saw how he didn't even question. He didn't even question anything about Jesus. He just came right on his knees. The old woman with the hemorrhaging blood, right on her knees. She admits, she, she admitted, you know, she, she confessed. She didn't hold back. She saw the miracle and Jesus acknowledged her faith. And that's important to understand is that, out of, you know, there was enough faith there. Remember the story of the man with the father, uh, the father with the son who had maybe epilepsy and some say it was, it was possessed. And I believe, I believe helped my unbelief. All right. He, he admitted, he admitted his struggle to believe 
And he says, I believe, just help me with any unbelief I have, with any doubts that I have. Please, Lord, help me. That's a good way of acknowledging it, right? It's a good way. All right. I'm going to end it here. Hopefully the other two episodes get uploaded. I hope they do in Google Podcast. I'm not going to do the... Uh, the music thing. I think that was a mistake. I think for some reason, I don't know why, but I tried something new and, you know, if not, I will try to get back to those episodes. Uh, maybe we do the readings for them. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God bless, and I'll be back again soon. Amen.